Thank you for releasing that sense of your presence in our midst. Father, we bless that sense of your presence. We bless you, Father, for allowing us to sense you amongst us. Deepen that sense for us, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Noswaitha, we say back home. You can say that. Noswaith. The. Noswaitha, good evening. See, you'll be a home away in Wales. Instantly accepted. Um, thought to be a native Welsh speaker. Just like that. Well, I was surprised after this morning by the number of people who spoke to me and knew nothing at all about... Falda Brennan. And uh, so I just want to tell you very quickly uh, a few things to give you a picture about where we're coming from before going on and sharing with you what I think is on God's heart for this evening. And we'll look at God's word and uh, we'll see what he wants to do in our midst. So we, we run a centre called uh, Falda Brennan, which is obviously Welsh, and it means the sheepfold of the king. And we had somebody come, and uh, I think they were walking through, and they saw the name. And they said, how do you pronounce it? Because F in Welsh is two Fs. If it's only one F, it's pronounced V. So if you're using it to say F, you have two Fs. So double F, A-L-D, Fald Brenin. And uh, they said, what does it mean in English? So he said, sheepfold of the king. Oh, they said, really? And what king is that? <laughs> Well, um, when we arrived there 13 years ago, it's rather different to it is today. Then it was just a very quiet place, very remote indeed, uh, no main roads, no public transport, no, e- no easy access really to anywhere at all, except on foot. And, uh, and we arrived there, and there were a few visitors who came to the place, and bit of confusion about what it was all about, no money, no vision, and uh, it was an interesting time for us to arrive, to say the very, very least. And now, 13 years on, it's an international ministry, and it's an astonishing thing that God has done there. And I suppose if this was a business, I was speaking day before yesterday uh, to... Uh, to, to a businessman, he said, I, I've just, a local businessman said, I've just observed how your business has grown, and I've never seen anything like it. And, uh, of course, if that's what it was like, Daphne and I would be saying, my goodness, see how we turned this business around. Really, it doesn't have anything to do with us. I mean, I'm, I think we're both level-headed enough to know that it was part of, our, of God's plan, surprised, shocked, and actually disappointed us that he wanted us to to go there, and that was part of his purpose. But the biggest thing that we have done over those 13 years is say, Lord, I haven't got the vaguest idea what you're doing. I haven't got the vaguest idea what you want us to do next or say next, but you seem to know what you're doing, so will you just keep going and we'll try and catch up. And uh, whereas in the early days we would sit around, well, not really, um, but uh, we, we would spend our time saying, Lord, you know, we're just waiting to see what you're going to do. And now it's, 
Lord, slow down a bit. We just can't keep up with what you're doing. So now we're a center where thousands of people pour in, um, where there were a few people a year who stayed. Now we're permanently full. We were looking at, uh, at seeing if we could develop more buildings and more accommodation, and we realized that no matter how much accommodation we built couldn't possibly be enough for the, for the people who were calling, uh, so wanting to come. Um, and we're in a national park, and it makes it very, very difficult to, uh, to build anyway. But we said, why don't we scrap all our plans to add anything at all? And make all the people, all the people who want to come, why don't we say yes you can, but put them in local homes, local hostelries and so on. Not many of those around us, but where there are. And so what started to happen was, um, was the people started to come and stay locally in the homes. Now we've done that for two years. And now roughly as many people, some thousands of people, this year, we'll be staying in local homes, about the same number as we'll be actually staying at Falder Brennan. So they come uh, then and join us in the day. In the day, um, we, we have a rhythm, which is the basic rhythm of the house. And everything really hangs on this. At half past nine, we meet for morning prayers for about half an hour. And our guests tend to come and uh, almost always come. They don't have to. Uh, there'd be some people who come, you know, particularly church leaders, and they've come to escape meetings. Oh, four times a day. Um, and, and we just bless them and say, I wouldn't come if I were you. Um, but then other people will turn up. And a Monday tends to be uh, our changeover day, a major changeover day. So uh, everybody's left on the Sunday from the weekend, and the place is empty on the Monday morning. There's nobody there, because our cleaning team will go through the place, and by early afternoon, it'll be filling up again. And uh, we went across for morning prayers, uh, just a few of us from the team, saying, wouldn't it be nice, there's just us. We couldn't get everybody in. And they just poured in from everywhere. And they come from the nations. They literally come from around the world. And I was saying a little bit about that this morning. And extraordinary things happen as these people pour in. They have mighty encounters with God. So at 9.30 we have what's supposed to be our half hour morning prayers. Uh, Just to fool everybody, we have our midday prayers at quarter to one. And then that leads naturally into lunch, of course. We have evening prayers for half an hour at uh, half past five. And my favourite, ten past ten at night, we have night prayers. And if you've ever been to Falderbrennen, we, we, we can't use the chapel during the day for our rhythm of prayers because we can't get everybody in. So we've taken one of the uh, meeting rooms and turned that into a, a lovely meeting place for our rhythm. But at night, we try and meet in our chapel, which is a beehive chapel, stone beehive chapel, um, and uh, it's circular beehive, and uh, we pack it with candles, and there are little windows all the way around, we pack it with candles, and to have night prayers in there is really quite wonderful. Now, it's okay saying we meet like that, but what really happens is that when the breath of God is blowing, anything can actually happen. And sometimes we've gone out for morning prayers. We've crept out at quarter past ten because we have engagements to keep. 
And we've gone back in at quarter to one for uh, uh, midday prayers. And the people are still there in the same positions they were before. And the Holy Spirit is moving. And sometimes, as happened recently, uh, we have night prayers, which is about 15, 20 minutes long. Uh, at ten past ten, so half past ten it's over. Um, the team members left, and in fact it was three o'clock in the morning before it came to an end. Nobody could move, many were on the floor, because the power of God just came and did so much. And then you need to understand that essentially our, our passion is for Jesus, it's for the Father's heart. We want to know him, we cannot live without his presence. We must have the manifestation of his presence. We believe that when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, it was not for us to say, oh, how nice, thank you very much. But for the breakthrough of the reality of his presence to happen when we meet in our twos or threes. We must have his presence. We must have his touch. We must see his beauty. We must hear his word. We simply must have him. And then our passion beyond that is that those who don't yet know him may come to know him. That those who are broken may be healed. That those who are caught in hopelessness or helplessness or failure or addiction, on and on and on might be set free because the kingdom, the rule of God is here in our midst. In other words, we're Christians. Yeah? We're Christians. Christian manifesto. And so we are essentially missional. And there are three things that are going on fundamentally. We are passionately desiring his presence. If he withdrew his manifest presence from us and started moving in the way he is with us somewhere else, Daphne and I, I'm pleased that Daphne has travelled with me this weekend. Daphne and I would pack our bags. Guess where we would be? That's where we would be. Because we must have him. Our first commitment is to be with him. Whilst we seek his presence and learn to stop and rest in his presence, we find that stage by stage, you know, we're less aware of it happening with us. Um, But we look at our team members and we see the work of God going on in their lives, the way that they are changing. We say, yes, Lord. And then we go out. And we go out and we want to plant wherever we can plant. Because we are utterly missional. But what we want to plant is not little Falderbrennens. What we want to plant is the principles, the values that are biblical, that are are at the centre of our our life. And let, let those who are involved in that, where they are, put the flesh on it. So it looks... Right, because it fits perfectly. It's their clothing and it is absolutely suitable for their place, their abode, their workplace, wherever it happens to be. And then we're involved in building bigger places in the Mediterranean nations, which how, in particular, some of you who are here have connected with me initially because you've been on trips um, with me and we've had fun and adventures together. 
So this is what we're about. And then we, we have taught hundreds now, many hundreds of people, to go and plant missional community. And some of those are going to be with us um, uh, later this week. A couple of days' time, they start arriving. And then in four weeks' time, some of those from other nations are going to be coming and joining with us. So it's a place of tremendous turnover. And I was saying this morning that... Um, uh, we're seeing God move. We, we see seasons of what God is doing. He seems to bring people with that situation, one after the other, for, for a few weeks. And then suddenly, it's something else. It looks quite different. And that's where God just meets them again and again and again. We do very little hands-on ministry. We just say passionately, Lord, we just want you here. We want your presence. And people just come and they encounter him so powerfully. There is very little hands-on ministry. Can I tell you a story? I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> so it's better to say yes. <clears throat> we, I was saying this morning, first Tuesday of every month, we have what we call our prayer day. In a sense, we really need to change the name of it. But, but it's a day that runs from half past ten till uh, three o'clock and uh, people come from far and wide now to it um, and uh, from many nations around the world just to be there from half past ten till three o'clock well we started off with our worship this particular morning uh, just a few prayer days ago and um, people were still arriving because it's Pembrokeshire, and uh, please don't be offended, anybody who's from Africa, but Pembrokeshire time is like Africa time, okay? So when, when you say half past ten, you know, give or take half a day sort of thing. Well, people were still coming in as we'd started, and I was just aware of people coming in as, as, as we were worshipping, and I stopped the worship, and people were just coming in, some of them, and I, I just said, God's just given me a word for you. Um, he says that somebody here, you've come in, and uh, this is your last opportunity. You've come knowing that you have nowhere else you could turn, nowhere else you could go. This is it. And either you're going to live or you're going to die, depending on what happens today. But you've come in faith, believing that God is going to meet with you today and heal you. And this is what God is saying. No, he's not going to meet you and heal you. And the reason is this. He met with you and healed you when you were on the way here. And if you say thank you, Lord, now, then the fullness of that healing will be released for you. So if that's you, I suggest that uh, you say thank you. If you think it might be you, I'd say thank you just in case. Um, in fact, why don't we all... No, I didn't say that. So <clears throat> that was there. We carried on with our worship we went through. Came to lunchtime. And uh, a young woman walked up through the, the church hall to the front where I was and said, I just want to say to you, um, I think I was the person you had that word for. I said, well, that's great. And um, did you say thank you? Yes, I did. Do you believe that you received the force of your healing? Yes, I do. I said, well, God bless you. Go in strength and uh, relax and enjoy this afternoon after lunch and off she went that was that you see carried on through prayer day prayer day finished and lots of things went on that was that 
So a few days later, um, church leaders started calling me from Cardiff, which is 110 miles away from us, in this direction, saying, tell us about this amazing miracle. I said, well, which amazing? What, what are you referring to? Ah, <laughs> oh, this incredible thing of this woman who was at the point of death. And I said, when did this happen? I said, well, you know, a couple of days ago, three days ago. I said, um, I'm not sure I know which one. You know, so-and-so. And I said, I don't know anyone that name. And, and one after the other was calling, and then I got some emails. And I was so frustrated initially when I was saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it turned out that it was this woman who walked down to the front and spoke to me. So the backstory was this. In bed 23 years. Uh, close to death now, having been resuscitated a number of times. Somebody has, sorry, this is not a sales pitch for my book, and I have brought none with me, but somebody had given her a copy of my book, and God just stirred faith that maybe he could meet with her. So she had, I think, 23 years, uh, you know, resuscitated a number of times. Now very, her organs have started to shut down. And she has a male friend. Uh, they've known each other since they were children. They went to school together. And uh, he was very loving towards her and supportive. And uh, when he visited, uh, she said, I, my dying wish is that you should take me to Falder Brennan. And he said, where's that? And she said, I don't know. So he went on the web and found out. And said, you must be joking. <clears throat> no, I want to go there. I want to race through this story a little bit. Um, but he spoke to the doctors in the hospital who said, well, you, you, she can't go anywhere. You put her in a car, she will die. And the problem for him was if he said, no, I won't take you, which he had said to her a number of times, this was her dying wish. But if he said yes and put her in his car, she would die on the journey. Um, they had, a couple of years previously, tried to take her suitably um, uh, sort of wrapped up in duvets and blankets and pillows and something in the back of a car. Had to put her on the side of the road and get the, the medics in to resuscitate her at the side of the road. So they, he agreed that he would bring her. There's more to it than that, but, but this is the bonus, okay? So he is crying when he puts her in the back of the car. Because he knows it's the last time he'll speak to her, see her, communicate to her, and that he's carrying her into death. But um, he's doing this because it's her last wish. So he carries her out, car back is, is all laid out, carefully lays her in, and sets off for this long early morning drive. And he's adjusted the mirror so he can see when she dies. But who's amazed when she doesn't? And the nearer he gets, the fresher she looks. She's lying in the back, finding the nearer she gets, the stronger she feels. So they arrive. He is stunned that she is still alive. So he opens the door to carry her out. And she starts shuffling out and says, don't carry me in. I think with your help I could walk in. So she puts her arm around his shoulder, his around her waist, and helps her. And as they slowly come in the door, I deliver this word. Okay? 
You think God's, he's done it on the way. She says, thank you. So when she walks the length of the church hall to tell me it was me, this is an astounding miracle. She's been bed for 23 years. Now what happens when she goes back? Within 24 hours, she's going around all the clubs and pubs in the city wherever she can find anyone, banging the table and say, people, people, can I just have your attention for a minute? Do you see me standing here? I've been in bed for 23 years. I was dying. And in one moment, a few days ago, Jesus met me and healed me and set me free. He's completely changed my life and he can change your life as well. So she was just, so churches heard about it and said, will you come? So she started going around the churches sharing her story. Um, but then she just couldn't stop. So she started going around the supermarkets. <laughs> Looking for cues at the cash out, cash tills. So excuse me, everybody. So apparently she's walking in the city centre, looking for cash tills and cues. Excuse me, everyone. Can I have your attention? Can I just tell you what's what's happened to me? So they have been coming since then. Okay. So they go back. They're in love. Uh, the, the boyfriend goes on an alpha course. They're both filled with the spirit. He's baptized in water. And uh, a few weeks later, they get married. And uh, God is just pouring grace upon them. And then each month they come back for our prayer day. But they bring people. And I, I spoke to them at. Uh, uh, on Tuesday, just passed. And I said, did you bring anybody with you? Oh, yeah, 14. <laughs> and the people they're bringing are the desperate. So I was just saying, if you weren't... How many of you were not here this morning? Quite a lot of you, okay? So, uh, again, very quickly, one of the people they brought was a lady. Um, they'd spoken to, to the team. Um, we'd prepared a bed at the back. So this lady, uh, been in bed for many years, was on oxygen, was carried in, laid at the back. And uh, later in the day, when we had our ministry, she was lifted into a wheelchair and brought forward in the name of Jesus. We got her out of the chair and set her free, and she's walking and rejoicing. And uh, we're, we're seeing these things happen around us um, just about every day. We used to say certainly every month, then we say most weeks, and now we say most days. And some days just one after the other after the other. So what's happening? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are pouring in. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is with us. So we keep saying to people, please be aware that we are not a healing center. We are not a healing ministry. We're a praying community who love the Lord, whose eyes are fixed on him, and are desperate that, uh, that the ministry of Jesus will be poured out, that the kingdom may come. But because the presence of the Lord is here, the sick are coming. And when the sick are coming, they're being healed. Now, I want to talk a little bit about missional community this evening because I'm aware that's got God's call on you to be missional community. Is there anyone who would be able to find me uh, some water? Oh, this water. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Where do you find... The, where would you look to see the most effective 
missional community today. And you may be thinking, and maybe a few place names are coming to your mind. Can I tell you, the greatest missional community is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is found in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that setting of Trinity, of three persons, yet one, we see perfection. Perfection, Godness, the essence of God, is found in community. God exists in community. And without community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he could not be God. So at the heart of everything is perfect, holy, beautiful, sanctified community. And we can talk about all the contents of, uh, of the community of God. We can talk about the, the mutual love and the mutual uh, adoration and the mutual submission. We can talk about all that. But, but the thing that is the essence of that community is incredible joy. Incredible joy. And that is the great mark of the community that is God, the joy that is at the centre of the community that absolutely pours out through everything that is God. And the shape and the character of the community that is God is missional. It is the greatest love story of eternity. That a passionate father wants his children back. And if you can grasp that, that a passionate father wants his children back, you have got the big story. Because it means when you go out into your community, your workplace, your shopping precincts, where it is, wherever it is, when when you meet those who stink of sin, you find yourself saying, well, this is the, this is the stage for the display of this wonderful, incredible, passionate love story that the Father, for this stinking sin situation, has already sent Jesus, already shed his blood for that person. What I see may disgust me or appall me uh, or offend me, but actually, this is what God's love story is all about. It's for these people. He is desperately and passionately searching for them. His love is incredible. He is loving community. He is missional community. And at the heart of everything, is amazing joy. Now then, Jesus comes. And he comes to create a new beginning. Mark's Gospel. First words, the beginning. The beginning of the good news, the Gospel. 
We have the story of John in Mark 1. The baptism of Jesus, his temptation. The beginning of his ministry. And the declaration, Mark says, of the gospel of God. That's what he writes. Jesus came to bring the gospel of God. And this is the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled. In other words, this is it. The day you've been waiting for. For so long, the day that Abraham longed for, that Moses longed for, that the prophets spoke of. Today, it's fulfilled. It's now. We've moved from the time of longing to the time of activity of presence. It's today. Why? Because Jesus is here. And the rule of God is at hand. And the expression of the rule of God being at hand is not simply that, wow, we're almost there then. It's, and if you stretch out your hand, you can seize it. And in other expressions of this, the word seize is there. Okay. The whole point of it being at hand is, it's within your hand's reach, stretch it. Seize it. Because everything you've been waiting for is within your grasp now. It is to be fulfilled in the future. All its fullness. But it is already broken into time and space. And you can seize the rule of God today. Exactly where you are. So you, you need to turn around. Redirect your life in view of this. And trust in this. Understand the times that you're living in. It's now. This is the good news of God. And then he carries on. Next thing he does, Mark says, he goes along, Mark 1, verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will teach you to catch men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little bit further, he saw others. He called them and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I don't know whether you know, but there's a a mention later of the sons of Boanerges relating to the disciples. And Boanerges means tremendous thunder. And some people, it reckons it, it goes back to their father Zebedee, who exploded when they put their nets down and left him on his own with the hired servants. And Zebedee and sons was now Zebedee. <laughs> so he went into the uh, into Capernaum and the disciples followed and uh, he was teaching and immediately the spiritual reaction and he has to deal with the situation there and get rid of a demon and the people are recognizing great authority and they said amongst themselves what is this a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region but what's happened Jesus, who has moved out in that, in that one sense of the community of the Trinity, is immediately beginning to form community on earth. I'm calling you, come and be with me. He is calling community. We have uh, community 
there in heaven. But now Jesus has come, he's immediately forming community around him. And he takes them with him to be, an immer- to be immersed in, in what he does, in his ministry. So he goes on from, from that encounter, and he goes into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And uh, Simon's mother-in-law is ill with a fever. They told her. He took her by the hand and lifted her up. Fever left her. She began to serve them. I bet they were impressed and uh, pleased they had something to eat all at the same time. But that evening at sundown, they brought all to him who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. Um, while, uh, verse 35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went to a desolate place to pray. And, uh, and then others found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, speaking in their synagogues, Casting out demons, and then there is more hope, more healings, and uh, and by verse forty-five, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. People were coming to him from every quarter. Now I'm serious when I say that at Falderbrennan, this stuff is what we see. This is what's going on around us. This is what we are living in. And we look at Jesus' desperate attempts to get somewhere and be somewhere, just alone with the Father. And we say, yeah, we, we understand that. So on it goes, and uh, chapter 2, he returned to Capernaum. Um, it was reported that he was in the house. Many were gathered together, so there was no room, not even at the door. He's teaching them uh, the word a paralytic has brought. Um, he goes on from there and uh, calls others into the community that he's building around them. In Luke, we, we read of Jesus proclaiming his manifesto as he, he displays to the people very openly. So in a sense that he can make clear what he's doing, but also be held accountable to the word of God. He quotes from Isaiah 61, do you remember? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim, this is good news, the year of the Lord's favor. Wow. I've got good news for you, we can say. This is the year of the Lord's favor. How amazing. So, okay, but surely this is Jesus' personal manifesto. No. Times I've heard people teach that. That this is Jesus' personal uh, manifesto. No. It's so much more than that. It is his manifesto, but it's more than that. We misunderstand if we believe that's all it is. This is the manifesto of the kingdom of God. It's the manifesto of the Father's loving heart towards his towards his creation, towards all those who are lost, captured. 
It's the manifesto of the kingdom of God. It's the manifesto of the Holy Spirit who longs for the word to be spoken with authority so that he may move in and glorify God as he confirms the word and shouts, yes, as he heals the sick and raises the dead, restores sight to the blind, opens deaf ears, and so on. A little while ago, we came to the end of a, a, a Falderbrennian gathering. And as people were beginning to leave, we were aware of a, a young family sitting in a line. There were five children, I think. And uh, as people were leaving, and really our time of ministry was over, but the young man who was the father in his 30s uh, came up to, 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 to us and said, could, could you just pray for my family? And we said, yeah. And he took us over, his wife, early 30s, I think, 30, early 30s. They've already got five children, lovely children, but the youngest, deaf and dumb. And uh, four years old, I think. Um, not just deaf and dumb, but uh, no emotional life either. And no connection with people, including his parents, no recognition, nothing. So we stopped everybody who, who hadn't left and said, will you come and... Some scores of people came and gathered around this young family. And we just blessed them and prayed for them for a while uh, together. And I asked the Lord for his word. And he said, go and pray for the ears. So um, we spoke to this little lad and commanded his ears to be opened in the name of Jesus. And we blessed the family, particularly the young mum. It was absolutely way, way over the edge, really. Trying to cope with his family. What I haven't said about this young son is that he was also hyperactive. Whole family tremendously stressed. Off they went. So a little while later I got an email from the father saying I want to bring you up to date. What you didn't know because we didn't tell you was that he was due to go into hospital the next day and have a general anaesthetic and they were going to do tests on his brain uh, to find out if there was any semblance of any audio function anywhere. And we thought, what do we do? And we decided to let him go anyway, even though you prayed for him. But what happened was they were stunned to discover that their tests said he had perfect, normal hearing for a four-year-old. So they're thrilled. Yeah, we can do this, can't we? Okay. So we say, yes, Lord. And then followed another email a few days later. I just have to tell you, he said, he wrote, what is happening with, with our son? We were sitting at table having our tea and there were strawberries. He loved strawberries. And he reached out a, a strawberry, looked around the table and said, straw, berry, and ate it. <laughs> and you could, re you could feel the emotion as he wrote this, as I read it. A few days later, I don't know how I can begin to tell you this. Our son came up to me and stretched out his arms to hug me. Okay. First recognition. First connection. Isn't God good? This is what Jesus came to do. But guess what? In the context of this, Jesus is building a community. And initially he's drawing the community to be around him and to be focused on him, to be with him. Now back to Mark for a moment, Mark chapter 3. And uh, 
Verse 13, he went up onto a mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and that he may send them out. This is the pattern of missional community. What Jesus is doing is recreating heaven on earth. The pattern of God himself. Joy-filled community. Loving, affirming one another. Submitting to one another. Preferring one another. Rejoicing over one another. That's the community he's beginning to build here on earth. 2,000 years ago. And he is doing the stuff and, and initially fulfilling the word and immersing those he's drawn into community to be with him. Now guess what? This community he's forming from a human or sociological point of view is utterly dysfunctional. How would you take Simon the Zealot who wants to overthrow the Roman occupation and say, guess what? You're going to leave, live with Matthew the tax collector who has betrayed your country and is operating on behalf of the occupier. Is that a good way? Would you like to start a house group like that? Would you like to lead it? From a purely human or sociological point of view, this is a dysfunctional community that Jesus is drawing together. But this, of course, is the prophetic thing that he's doing. That he draws them together around him. And because it's around him... Change begins to take place, but it takes time. So initially, he immerses them in the experience of simply being with him, of seeing what he does, of, 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 of teaching, and just, oh, he must have been so frustrated at times with their inability to understand. How long are you going to be with me? And yet he sticks with it, this little community. But then guess what happens? He starts to say to them now, this, uh, this manifesto that we started, that I started with, that I've taught you, that I've declared publicly, the stuff you've seen me to do, I now give you power and authority to move out yourself and to begin to go and do what you have seen me do and teach what you have seen me teach, to pray in the way that I have taught you to pray, that you've seen me pray. Go and do the stuff. But I give you the power and authority to do it. And they do it. And you remember what happens? They come back. Ah, oh, they're, they're just beside themselves. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus rejoices. Actually, it says, he exults. I reckon his feet were 20 feet off the air. Yes, Father, yes, Father. It's worked. Your wisdom, your plan from the beginning, before anything was even created. Yes, men on earth have come in to this new community that's being formed on earth. And they are doing the stuff. This is the community of heaven on earth. This is the beginning of the whole new people, the people of God. So what does he do? He says, but remember 
that your status is not found in your ministry or your authority, but in the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, who did that? You didn't write your name. He did. It was his initiative. It's his calling. So the blessing is his. The grace pours out from him to us. The honor is his, not ours. And our self-esteem and security can never be found in what we do, including our ministry, but in the fact that he has adopted us and made us his children. So the 12 have gone out, they've come back, it's great rejoicing. So now he says, okay, I'm going to send 72 out now. Now these are drawn from those who are around him. So he commissions them, they go out with great power and effect. Yes, it's happening. And so you have this flow, because when they come back, they're held accountable. And then he says, you must be really tired. Let's go somewhere quiet together. What's going to happen? After, after his presence, immersion in his presence, has come a wonderful outpouring of ministry, of mission, with effectiveness, power and authority. And then they come back and they unload. And then they have a time of just resting in the presence of the Lord, of being healed up, of recovering, enjoying his presence again. But then they will go again. Because the day of Pentecost comes. And now there's 120 in this community. But by the time Peter has finished and the Holy Spirit has shouted out the biggest yes yet over the people of God, there are 3,000. That's just the men. And so have the explosion. But what's being, what, what is it that is exploding? It's community. And it's missional. And now it's home-based, but there are celebration gatherings in the temple as well. But this is a whole new community that is being formed. And a multiplication of, of communities full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God, who cannot say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And so heaven is touching earth. And from these communities then become uh, come waves of mission, like the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas to go off into the Gentile world. And here we are today. Thank you, Paul and Barnabas. Thank you for the outpouring of the gospel into Europe. Now, do you see the rhythm and the pattern here? Jesus, it says, called the twelve to be with him, and to be sent. Now this is the rhythm of heaven. That we come in and we go out. If we try and form a missional community, um, if, if I'm saying anything here that is uh, um, not when meant to cut across anything you're, you're doing here, the leaders will tell me and they'll tell you and they'll put it right. Okay, But, but for me as a guest, as a visitor here, the, the, the missional community that meets to go with an agenda simply to go will burn itself out. And it will burn itself out on a program or a good idea or, or a breath or a whim or whatever. And it will fall flat. But if the community can come together and say we are a missional community, 
We will love and bless one another, but we are not here fundamentally to minister to one another, to become inward-looking, to be pastoral to one another. That's not the function of us as a missional community. Actually, we're going to limp, we're going to put our our arm in the sling, uh, we're going to have the plaster on the leg, whatever it may be. Because actually, as wounded soldiers, we are going to go and engage in the mission of God. But the rhythm of that is then that we meet and say, let's learn as a missional community to worship with love and abandon and to value, to truly value, not doing anything else. And a bus- in a busy age, how much of our value is placed on how we're filling our time? How many appointments we have, how, how packed we are, how we run from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. And we justify our lives and our busyness, well we're Christians. But Jesus didn't say, come and be with me and then get really busy. He said, come and be with me and be sent. So here with ascending, we're back to God's initiative. That he says, this is what I want to send you to do. And that is where your focus is and when you go. Because he is speaking to you and he is sending you. And so the pattern of the missional community is a movement of community, a rhythm. So the sense in which you can look at heaven and the community of heaven. And then Jesus comes and begins a community that grows communities, that thrusts out in mission. And now, I was it India? Uh, 24,000 people a day? 22,000 people a day, they reckon, on the moment, in India coming to the Lord. It's pretty good, isn't it? Um, that's just India. Do you know that in France at the moment, on average, a new church is planted every week? It's an astonishing thing that's happening in France. Astonishing thing. Built on rhythm and patterns that, uh, that are just like ours. Okay? The stuff I'm talking about now. Jesus said, I'm the door. My sheep will come in and go out. See, that's the rhythm. And it's, it's, it's the rhythm for us as individuals and uh, it's also for a rhythm of missional community that we come in <coughs> and we go out. So we're out doing our stuff uh, but on the door there's a big sign that says come in. And we're beckoned to come back into the presence of the Lord and to be still and to say I do not justify my, uh, my position, my acceptance with others my peers, uh, others, by my business, but I value being with the Lord and still with him and worshipping him above everything. But the trouble is, the moment we've come in, we look at the door and there's a sign, and it says, go out. Because the Father's heart is pulsing, ba-boom, ba-boom, and the boom is come in and the boom is go out again. You know what I mean? This revolving rhythm of heaven to come in 
Okay. So we have community that's planted community. But then, of course, what's the end of the story? The end of the story is community. Because now the whole of this community of the people of God through the ages is gathered up in Jesus to heaven, into presence, where everything, everything has now submitted to Jesus. Anything that hasn't has been swept away. And we're caught up in this waterfall, this mighty sound of a multiple of waterfalls as every tribe and tongue and nation that there's ever been gives praise and glory to the Lamb of God. Isn't that right? And then because of the nature of the community of heaven, Jesus takes the kingdom, everything that now belongs to him. What does he do with it? He gives it away to the Father. Here you are, Dad. All the fruit of my sacrifice. Everything I've won, Father. Here's the biggest gift I could give you. Here's my opportunity to give you everything. And he surrenders his, uh, his rule over the kingdom. That the Father now may be everything. This is the nature of relationship. Now, Isaiah 56. We discover the heart of teaching. The heart of the prophetic word about missional community. I will gather them in. I will make a place for those who have no future. For those who have uh, no possibility of uh, future progeny, I will give them a name better than names of fathers and sons. Speaks loudly, actually, to, to nations that are coming to the end of their culture, their language, and in the sense of being assimilated, no longer exists. But still that name rests before the Lord. And that name will rest forever. That language that's being extinguished is necessary to join in the orchestra of praise that's going to rise to the Lamb. Because nothing less than everything that is possible can adequately bring praise to the Lamb. So we're wrapped up in the glory of community before the Father. So what are we doing? We're living in missional community that starts missional community, that sends out waves of ministry, but which comes in and goes out, which comes in and goes out, which comes in, which goes out. So who is the greatest church planter that's ever been? Oh, Jesus. So if we want to know how to plant missional community, we look at, uh, we look at Jesus and his ministry. He teaches us. It's all about community with him in the heart. But the thing I didn't say about Isaiah 56, because the promise is, as we come together in missional community, the house of prayer for all nations, he says, and I will give them joy. What joy is this? This is the joy that is at the heart of the community of the Trinity. It's promised for you. And it's promised for me. What's he saying? Here on earth, heaven is being planted. This is the nature of missional community. Now where we see missional community in the New Testament 
we see the active fulfillment of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. Deaf hearing, the blind seeing, good news coming to the poor and so on. It just pours out. Is it a case of demon hunters being raised up to go and look under the rocks and find something to tear down? No, not at all. Because that's not what Jesus patterned for us. What actually happened was that he lived for the Father. He lived in righteousness and truth under the grace of the Father. He ministered and spoke truth with authority. And there were times when as a result of that there were demonic manifestations. And uh, he silenced them. He stopped it. He cut off their agendas. This is how we learn about church planting. We look at the ministry of Jesus. He patterned it for us. So the heart of missional community is the, heart, is the call of Jesus, first of all, to be with him. So it sounds the wrong way around for missional community. What's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to learn to be with Jesus. But hang on, we're a missional community. But the heart of missional community is learning to be with him. And then out of that missional community and the change that's going on with us as community is being formed and, uh, and we're resting in his presence, being washed by his word, is that we're ready then for him to send us out. But being sent is now being dynamically effective. Because we're walking in vision we're moving from revelation. And then, having obeyed the Father, we come back in to his presence. This is missional community. Well, I, I hope that um, that, that is um, helpful. But that's really the, the heart of the word of God that I wanted to bring to you this a sense of rhythm, a value of being with him that is at the heart of missional community. Looking at Jesus and his ministry for our pattern. <coughs> Learning our lessons from there. That's why he came. That's why he came. And everything we want to know about building community, about building leadership, about releasing people in ministry, about seeing the coming into the kingdom is found there in the life and ministry of Jesus. That's where we need to look first. So you can take all your textbooks and all your models that uh, have been written about and say thank you very much and put them down and open the Gospels and say, Holy Spirit, will you please come and help us Please come and help us to learn from Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. Root ourselves in him. I desperately want to give my life in worshipping the king and seeing colonies of heaven planted today. How about you? Let's pray. Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would come and that you would draw us into that rhythm of coming into your presence and of learning to be still before you.
Father, forgive us for our vanity, our foolishness, our busyness. Draw us into your presence, into your heart, Father. Form a community for us, Father. Place us where you want us to be. And we look to you for your sending, Father. We thank you for the, for the declaration of kingdom purpose, the manifesto of the kingdom. Release us into the fulfillment of that, Father, that we may take the manifesto of the kingdom, the manifesto of Jesus, and live in it and walk in it, minister it, Father, as your kingdom comes. In Jesus' name, amen.